0: Um, wow, it's December 19th. Isn't that crazy? I don't know. This year's flown by for me. I don't know. Anybody else? It's just crazy that we already have four candles lit. Crazy that we uh, are celebrating Christmas Eve on Friday. Is it Friday? Um, I don't know about you all. I know for lots of people this is a very busy time of year. So just a quick read of the room. Uh, I know that there can be lots of stresses around this time with traveling, with preparing meals, with even some familial stresses, that sort of thing. How are we doing? Anybody feeling like a lot of weight, just the busyness, kind of stress? Anybody? Anybody like, man, I I feel really good. I feel at peace, all this stuff, some people. Okay. Who's just like in the middle? Who's just like in the middle? Okay, okay. So mostly mostly people in the middle, that's good, but definitely some people calm and collected, some people feeling the feeling the pressure and all of that. Um, but as we approach Christmas, um, just want to thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for tuning into the live stream. Um, I know that it's a busy time for a lot of people and, and carving out Sunday morning to just reflect on Christ coming and the Advent season. Uh, really, really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, this morning, we are in our final sermon um, that is on Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Uh, however, we've already preached on Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. So I had the uh, liberty to add on the fourth part of the series. And what I decided to entitle this series is Jesus as Emmanuel. Um, and the reason for that. Uh, well, let me get, before I get into that, so Emmanuel is a, is a term, that's, it's a name given to Jesus, and anybody know what it means? God with us? God with us? Okay, so you are paying, paying attention last year when Dan preached on this, let skip. Yeah. Um, it shows up in Isaiah 7, 14, which is the prophet Isaiah, who's about 600 years before Jesus was born, and he's prophesying and says, therefore the Lord... Uh, Adonai himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. We will call him God with us. And so the reason um, I decided to preach on this is because we've looked at the different roles that Jesus has played as prophet, as the one who is the mouthpiece of God the Father. As uh, We've talked about Jesus as priest, meaning he mediates between us and God. He brought heaven to earth and brings earth up to heaven. Uh, and king, Jesus is king, uh, meaning that he reigns, he's sovereign, and he has a kingdom, and we're a part of that. And all of these are great, and they're true, and they're glorious, and they're majestic. But we also worship a God who came to us. And um, one of the things that we can do is elevate these... these um, like attributes of God that are so like outweigh on his heavy like they they're heavily his his deity, but we also have to hold that together with the fact that Jesus was a, a man, and um, that's there's there's tension there because it's sort of paradoxical, and uh, if if you know anything about church history, the earliest councils, the Council of Nicaea in uh, 325 A.D., this was what they were hashing out. There was a guy named Man, I wasn't going to get into this, but there's this guy named Arius, and uh, he thought that Jesus was um, you know, had two different natures: human nature and God nature. And then the church decided and wrote a creed that, no, Jesus is both God and man. And so the earliest account of, of the, the Christians being able to gather together because they aren't oppressed by the Roman Empire anymore, and they have Constantine, who becomes a Christian, he allows them to meet. They hash out this doctrine that, no, Jesus is both God and man. And then they write this creed, and then later in 380-something, they come back together and they fill out that creed more. But both of these are, are creeds that are like, Jesus is both God and man. And so we have to really hold those two together, but it's, it's paradoxical and it's difficult. Um, so so how, how is Jesus both God and man? And, and I think that this is really interesting here, that we see that, Jesus, or that God is, is eternal. He's outside of time. Um, scripture talks about him being incomprehensible and transcendent, which means beyond uh, the, and above the range of normal or, or merely physical human experience. But in the same sense, God is also present. God's with us as Emmanuel. He's, he's knowable, he's comprehensible, and he's imminent, meaning he's within our material world, that the divine is manifest here. On Earth, and this is incredibly complex, uh, but it's true, and we have to hold these things together, and, and, and there's tension. This isn't the only thing in Christianity that we have to hold in tension, right? God is three and God is one, and we can't sacrifice the threeness, and we can't sacrifice the oneness, right? So there are these there are these tensions. Um, but Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the son. Uh, the son is the image of the invisible God. So when we look at the face of Jesus, we see the face of God. And that's why it is important to understand Jesus came as a human. He took on flesh. You you read Philippians 2, it says, Jesus, though he was equal with God, of the same substance and essence of God, did not consider that something to be held on to, but rather humbled himself and came to earth, taking on the form of a servant, submitted himself to God the Father. So, um, because it's Christmas... We're going to look at the birth story of Jesus, and um, it, just like last week, it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to watch any videos, but we are going to look at a piece of art that's been uh, very interesting to me, and my hope is that this stretches our imagination, to understand the the extent to the uh, of the humanness of Jesus. So um, go with me here, and, and this is also going to be a little interactive. So... Um, this truth that Jesus is Emmanuel, he's God with us, is so important. And because God came to us, we have hope. And my hope is that this message fills us with joy and with hope as we remember how God came to us. So with that being said, let me pray and then we'll, we'll get into it. Um, God, thank you so much this morning um, just for bringing us all together. And thank you for the truth that you are both God and you are man. And while that is so difficult to grasp, um, help us understand more fully what it means that you were a man. You, you came to earth. You put on flesh. You dwelt among people. Um, you ate. You drank. You slept just like all of us. Uh, Lord, you had good days. You had bad days. You, you were tempted. You suffered. You experienced this life in some of the same ways that we experience. And thank you for what that means for us. Lord, that because you came to be with us, you understand what life is like, and you are you are near. So thank you for that. Um, I pray that you give us wisdom as we explore this, and uh, Lord, impress this deeply in our hearts. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to begin with... This image right here. And if you picked up a bulletin, you have it in your bulletin. Go ahead and pull that out. If you don't have a bulletin, you can just look look up here. Okay, here's the interactive part. What do you notice? Yes, Christian. Uh, there's There's a little plant coming out. Yep, right there. It's kind of the focal point of the image, isn't it? Good, good. What else? What else do you notice? Somebody's holding an open book. Okay. Uh, The guy on the phone's holding an open book. Okay, he's holding open a book. I was looking at it last week, I noticed if you looked at Jose and obviously Mary, each one of them has a halo. Okay. Okay, so you can see his name's Jose, he's got the name tag on, and it looks kind of like there's a halo. Very, very astute. I like that. Yeah. Where do you see him? On the sign, you see? A is missing the manager, so it's manager. Okay, yep. Very good, very good. It says manager. What's that? Where do you see star? Right here? Okay, you see star. Okay, did I see a hand right here? Jamie, what do you notice? Sherlock Holmes? Sherlock Holmes. Where do you, you see Sherlock Holmes in there? Okay, maybe. Maybe he's in there. Save on Mary's halo. Okay. Uh, Dave's city motel with a king. I've uh, uh, got a crown on top of that. Okay. Anybody know Dave's? Dave's city. <laughs> city, of David. city of David, Bethlehem. Yes. I see the, um, In the first uh, sign on the mirror on the left, there is a uh, somebody riding a camel. Somebody riding a camel. Okay, good. What does that sign say? Do you see what the sign says? It says Weisman, Weisman Cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, good. Good call. What does it say? Shepherd's Watches? Okay, Becky. Good news. Yeah, good news candy right there. It's good. Anybody else? Mary sitting on a horse. Very good. Uh, Christian again? Okay. What do you think that book is? A Bible. a Bible? Okay, maybe. Anybody have any other ideas? A phone book, maybe? Yeah, Greg. Uh, she went to Nazareth High School. see her sweatshirt? Went to Nazareth High School. Good. Abby? Oh, okay. right there search the back injured yeah that's good that's good prophecy from Ezekiel yeah what's that no vacancy no vacancy there's no no vacancy no yep what's what's that isaiah it's dirty everywhere a lot of clutter a lot of stuff on the ground yeah a dove with an olive branch right over there yep that's the that's says Ezekiel and then that's the thing that Kate just read yeah Loretta star yep hmm Right up there, good. Anybody? Anybody else? Yeah. Somebody said the in her halo it says safe. Yes. Yep. Somebody mentioned that. Hey, anybody else? The, the donkey ride is out of order. Donkey rides out of order. <laughs> yes. That's important, right? She's definitely. A, she's definitely pregnant. Good. Anyone else, Levi? Yeah, right there, Gloria. It's kind of hard to see on the projector, but if you got it in front of you, you can kind of see that. Okay. Uh, looks like Jose is reaching into his pant pocket to find money. Okay. Yeah. That's a that's a great point. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. It does look like he's either grabbing money. I thought maybe he was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that, that maybe be what he was doing too. Uh, Ed. Uh, on the base of the, uh, horse, it says God paid. Where is that? On the base of the, uh horse, right there. Right over here? Yeah. What does it say? God paid. God paid. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I will say that. That's hard to read. Um, the illustrator it, it's supposed to say, and it's really hard because it looks like it's graffiti, but it's supposed to say word on this side, but it definitely looks like God. And then over here it says flesh, but you can't, you can't even see that. But yes, yeah, that's significant too. Ooh, that's good. Right here, shepherd watches and then glad and tidings. Anything else? Jose looks older than Mary. That's an interesting point. Actually I just noticed something interesting too. Yeah. If you look at the paper, uh I've read somewhere the, the description of angels where they were all wings and eyes and stuff. It kinda looks like kinda looks like maybe the creepy picture of the angel on the paper itself. Right over here? Are you talking about right there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, little yeah, it's kind of scary there. Good, good. Anything else? They're both wearing wedding rings. They're both wearing wedding rings. Ooh, I didn't catch that. Very nice. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. That's neat. Huh. Anything else? So you can see this is a... Hopefully we are starting to see what's going on here. This painting, or illustration rather, um, is by an artist named Everett Patterson, um, and he said he was he was inspired by a handful of "Imagine what it could have been like" type sermons. Um, what do you think they're feeling in this situation? What kinds of emotions do you think they're feeling? Scared, worried, worried. tired, tired. Desperate. desperate, anything else? Anxious. Anxious, any other emotions come to mind? Um. Hopeless. Hopeless. One thing I, I read, I, I was reading about this. I was reading Everett Patterson's notes on it. He said one of the ones that he's most proud of, he's trying to fit as much biblical imagery in this, is the sign above Mary's head. Uh, it says, save more, but it looks like it could say, Ave Maria. I think that's really cool. Very creative. Um, this, this work of art is called Jose y Maria. Jose y Maria. And... Um, it's a picture of what it could have been like had Jesus come today. And, and, and the reason we're looking at this as a starting off point is to emphasize and to reimagine, and to stretch our imagination of what, what it would have been like in that time, in that, in that little town of Bethlehem. Um, and I was reading a blog by Robin Garr, and he says that this image brings us back to the very root of the gospel, the subtext of the story that we see in both Luke and Matthew's narratives of the Nativity, if only we look close enough to find it. You all remember the Christmas story? I'm going to tell it here. There's this young, poor girl named Mary, and scholars suggest that she's between the ages of 12 and 16. Let's say she's 15. And she is engaged to be married um, to a guy named Joseph. And engagement is different. They live in different cities. They don't have cell phones, and so they can't communicate on the phone. Um, And she hasn't seen him and doesn't plan on seeing him until the wedding day. And um, during this period, an angel appears to Mary, and it scares the crap out of her. (laughs) Seriously, it's in there. Uh, The NIV, Nate's inspired, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, It scares her. Uh, The angel says, don't be afraid. Why? Because you found favor with God, and then he tells her that she has been chosen to uh, bear God in her womb, and she's going to be impregnated by God. And then the angel says, name him Jesus, or Joshua, or Josue, if we're going with the Hispanic. Uh, version here. Name him Josue. And she's like, how am I going to be pregnant? I- I'm a virgin. And then, uh, the angel tells her, once again, you know, God's going to impregnate you. The Holy Spirit is going to conceive a child in you. And then, craziest thing is, it happens. Um, now, pause for a second. Ladies, put yourself in her situation. Maybe you're 15, 15. Uh, Maybe 15 was a few years back. You get pregnant at 15. How are you feeling? What what kinds of emotions? Anxious, hopeless, terrified. I mean, uh, maybe maybe there's some excitement or something because you realize that it was God that impregnated you, that conceived the the child, Um, but you're not prepared. You don't have any money. This is not the life you expected. Okay, now, guys, our turn to imagine. You're engaged, you're waiting till marriage to consummate the relationship, and you get a phone call from your fiancé, and she says, hey, I'm pregnant, and it's not your baby. Right? That just kind of, you're like, oh, oh, man. And then she says something that's crazy. She says, no, I've been faithful. It's actually an angel appeared to me, and, and it's God who conceived the child in me. Um, what what's your response? What's that? Slowly back away, Slowly back away. <laughs> or quickly slam the phone down, you know, punch something really hard. What else? What are you feeling, guys in the room? What are you feeling? Yep. Jealous, betrayed. betrayed. What else? What's that? Lion. She's lying, livid. Oh man, yeah. And Joseph does think she's lying, clearly. I mean, it's reading between the lines a little bit, but what does he decide to do? He says in order to protect her honor, he's going to divorce her quietly, but he's gonna divorce her. And, and that is in scripture, they aren't married, but that means break off the engagement in that context. So he's gonna, he's gonna break off the engagement. And then what happens is an angel appears to Joseph and he says, "No, she's telling the truth. Keep the engagement because it's God that is in her womb." And this is absolutely crazy. And and but not everything is okay because there's still the public shame, right? Do you think everybody believes that it was really God who's in her womb? There's the fear. There's I imagine the doubt of even that the angel really visited because the angel appeared in a dream. Um, there's all this this chaos. And then. They 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 don't break off the engagement. They trust God in this, and then we have this scene. So she's in her third trimester, and um, the the government calls a census, and so everybody has to go to their hometown. So they go to Bethlehem, and they don't have any family still living there. And they um, it comes time for her to give birth. Her water breaks, and they're looking for a place where she can deliver the baby. And because it's the census time, everybody else and their families have come back to Bethlehem and there's no room anywhere for them to stay. So, out of the kindness of a stranger's heart, they say, I don't have any room, but I've got a barn in my backyard, and you can at least go back there and have your baby. And so she goes back there, and there's no crib, um, and because of that, she gives birth to the baby, and she sets him in a feeding trough. That's Manger is the cute word for feeding trough. And then, as if that's not crazy enough, 10 or 15, I don't know the number, 10 or 15 night watch third, third shift security guards show up and say, hey, we got a, a visitation from the angels too. And uh, we were just coming to check out what was going on. And those are the shepherds, right? They're keeping watch. Um, isn't this wild? This is the Christmas story. It's not pretty, it's messy, it's kind of gross, personally. I mean, you think about feeding trots, I don't know how many of you all have animals, but the last place I would want to put my newborn baby is in the food bowl of one of my animals. Um, It's unexpected that the king of kings, God, Emmanuel would be born in a situation that he would arrive in a world like this, that he would uh, be born to these parents, in this situation with these visitors. It's like this isn't this isn't awesome. This is sort of a this is sort of a tragedy. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking, "What, what we sing, S- Silent night, holy night, all is calm." I'm like, this does not seem calm to me. Um, I was talking with Paul Mitchell this past week, and he said that Erickson wakes up every two to three hours, which I guess is typical for, for babies. Um, doesn't seem peaceful, doesn't seem calm, seems more chaotic, noisy, painful, and dirty. <laughs> and that's a little bit of a tangent. I mean, I, I get what the author or the, the um, writer of Silent Night is trying to do. It's it's holy. And, because, and it's, it's glorious because this is what ushered in the kingdom of God and the peace of God. So there's something wonderful and holy. So I, I love that song. I'm not trying to bash it or anything. But isn't it so interesting? This, this is the situation that the Savior of the world was born into. And the story doesn't end here. Because soon after, Mary and Joseph pick up and they have to leave their country because um, the oppressive king is trying to kill their baby. And so they flee to Egypt and they become displaced. They become refugees. Likely without papers, uh, poor, impoverished, shameful, oppressed. This is the king that we worship. It's not really what you envision when you hear prophet, priest, king, right? But this is how Jesus came. This is how God chose to show up in our situation. So, why is this significant? This is the God that we believe in, we worship, we serve, and we orient our entire lives around. There is no other God like this. Our God, Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah, Elohim, El Emmanuel, stepped into our situation. We worship a God, yes, who's who's eternal and outside the bounds of time and incomprehensible and totally transcendent, yet because of the miracle of Jesus, the incarnation, God putting on flesh, we worship a God who is eminent, comprehensible, present, near. Is God with us. We worship a king who is not far. God is able to sympathize with us because he's experienced it God is not so lofty that he doesn't understand our situation or what's going on here. Um, He chose to be born into this, to experience this. Why? To demonstrate to the world that he is not just for the strong or for the royal or for the privileged. He came as one of the least of these. Therefore, he gets it no matter where we are. He gets it. We can understand, or he can understand the struggles and sufferings that we have experienced or are experiencing. Um, I love this from Paul David Tripp's book, New Morning Mercies. He talks about the struggles and sufferings of Jesus, And, and he says this. He says, Jesus suffered and struggled an uncomfortable and unsanitary birth in a barn. He suffered the terror of fleeing for his life as an infant. He suffered the trials of growing and learning as a boy. He suffered powerful temptation, exposure to disease, homelessness, hunger, sadness and grief, disloyalty and betrayal, physical pain, disrespect and mockery, misunderstanding and misrepresentation, emotional pain of the rejection of his father, punishment for the sins of others. He suffered injustice. He suffered violence. He suffered death. He suffered the full range of the hardships of life in this fallen world. Therefore, he knows what you're going through. He knows what I'm going through. No matter what that is, he loves you and is there for you. You, you all remember in Hebrews 12, um, when Pastor Dan was preaching on Jesus being the priest, and, and, and it says, it's talking about Jesus and says, um, this it says we don't have a high priest Jesus who is unable to empathize in our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need now you notice right here it says empathize uh, in the Greek, the word is sympatheo. So so what is a closer meaning there is sympathy. And um, if you have any modern translation other than the NIV, pretty much it's going to say sympathy. Now, I, I realized in my study of this, I've gotten these words wrong <laughs> for the past couple years, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, but I pulled up, I don't know if I put the definition up here. I don't think I did. Um, But I pulled this from Merriam-Webster, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is constructed from the Greek sim, meaning together or with, and pathos, referring to feelings or emotions. It's used uh, when one person shares the feelings of another as when one experiences sadness when someone close is experiencing grief or loss. Empathy is a newer word that is also related to pathos. It differs from sympathy and carrying an implication of greater emotional difference. With empathy, you can imagine or understand how someone else might feel without necessarily having those feelings yourself. So sympathy is I've experienced something like what you're going through, so I actually know what those feelings are. Whereas empathy is I haven't experienced what you've experienced. I have to use my imagination in order to understand that. And I don't know why the NIV does this. Um, but the truth is that God can actually sympathize with us because he's experienced the the full range of hardships in this fallen world. Uh, I love this verse. <coughs> um, oh, I do have it right there. I'm not going to read it again, but if you want that, you can Google it. Um, uh-oh, I lost the, the thing. So the next verse comes, it's, it's, it's um, oh, I lost it again. But I want to read Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16 again in, in the message paraphrase. Listen to this. It says, we don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experiencing it all. All but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take mercy. Accept the help. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with reality. So so here's, here's what I want to meditate on this week. Knowing that God is not out of touch with our reality. Um, sorry, Becky. Maybe you can just pull up the slide. All right. Okay, I got it. Uh, we don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experiencing it all, all but the sin. So let's walk uh, right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take mercy. Um, accept the help. So here's what I want to meditate on this week. Okay, we're just having issues with that right now. It's okay. Because God stepped into this situation, he can sympathize with your situation. If you got your bulletin and you're filling in the blanks, let me read it one more time, or if you're on the app, fill in the blanks. Because God stepped into this situation, situation in the picture, because he took on flesh and all that, he can sympathize with your situation. The challenges we face, the struggles we have, they're not absent from the mind and from the heart of God. And this is the glory of the nativity story. God is not out of touch with reality. And then the other, the second piece of this is, God stepping into this situation demonstrates his love and his grace for you. Jesus was born to reveal what the kingdom of God was like. He literally brought heaven and earth together. Um, This this is the life. It's through this life that we understand the gospel, the good news of God, that God has reached down to us and restored our relationship with him. Um, and, And... and a huge piece of the restoration of the relationship is redemption. You remember last week in those videos, if you were here and you saw them, you remember this. If you weren't, uh, ask me and I can show them to you. But you remember it talking about the atoning sacrifice and how the animal was killed, but that would absorb... Absorbed the sin so that there could be a a holy place where God could dwell and how Jesus was the final sacrifice Remember John was like look it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth So Jesus was the atoning sacrifice when he died he absorbed the sin so that God could now dwell with his people He handled our sin problem in order to so that we could have relationship with God And then when Jesus died he said look I'm going to leave but I'm going to leave an advocate with you and he said, it's better that I go so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. And so this, with, without Jesus coming, this wouldn't have been able to happen. He couldn't have died on our behalf had he not become like us. And so putting on flesh is the ultimate example of love and grace. God came to meet us Where we are. And this is the God that we trust, we love, and we serve. A God who draws near. A God who dwells with us. A God who is not out of touch with reality. So the last piece of this is what do we do? I think the big thing here, not to work harder, it's to trust him. We receive this gift through faith. So we trust God. We trust that he knows our situation. We trust that he knows what's best for you. and We trust that he wants what's best for you because he's good. And we trust that he can actually provide what's best for you. So trust him. Pray to him. Tell him you trust him in this way. And this is what the Christian life, I believe, is. is it's growing in, in our trust of him. It doesn't all happen at once, but it's as we're, as we're tested, as we have struggles, to trust that, okay, God is still in control, no matter what the situation is. You remember that story in the Bible when uh, the, the, the boy who's demon-possessed, his dad comes up to him, and he, uh, Jesus is in a crowd, and the guy comes up and says, hey, uh, if you can heal my son, do it. And Jesus says, if I can... Everything is possible for the one who believes. And what does the man say? The the Bible says, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this phrase resonates with me because it's like, God, I I do believe. But then there are certain times throughout my day, throughout my week, in my life, when it's like, the way that I'm living doesn't really reflect that I trust God in this. And um, so I think that that is characteristic of us. Like, we believe Man, there's certain ways in which our lives reflect that we're still in process. Um, and my hope is that this morning reminds us that God is trustworthy. God came to us, is trustworthy. Most of us have five or ten year goals or plans or whatever, um, but we don't know what the future holds. And so, what do we do? We stress, we become control freaks. We think that if we don't hold our lives together, they will unravel. What does it look like to trust a God who not only knows us in our situation, but is for us, who came and experienced it all so that he could sympathize with you? What does it look to trust God's word enough to put it into practice, remembering that God knows our struggles? He knows you. He's with you. He's for you. And he's not out of touch with reality. And then lastly, I think trusting him means that we grow uh, in this way of life. We, we follow him. It says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And we see the way that Jesus is totally others-focused. He comes, he comes like this in order to experience it all so that, so that he can sympathize with our situation. What does it look like for us to follow in that way? Out of love, being motivated by love, to willingly step into brokenness in order to inject gospel love and grace into that. Um, This this is what the, the mission of God is. In theological terms, that's the missio dei. The mission of God is to step into the world, to step into our situation, to redeem it from within. And that is something that we adopt as believers. To in, in, in this likeness, to look for brokenness around us with our families, with our friends, and to represent Christ, to bring good news into that situation. Um, so what does it look like for us to take on the same posture of humility? To grow in our service of others, in our kindness, and in our grace. To be good friends who listen well, who are compassionate, who practice sympathy, And empathy. To grow in in love means growing in the practice and attitude of giving ourselves to the good of others regardless of their willingness or ability to reciprocate. And isn't that what we see in this picture? Jesus giving himself for our good regardless of our willingness or ability to reciprocate. So we receive this love which fills us and overflows out of us. We become like Christ. Not going to the places because they're easy and clean, but entering into the brokenness of others in order to be able to sympathize. um, To be motivated by love. I want you to look at this picture one more time. So Everett Patterson reflecting on this art says, says this. He says, um, a word on perspective. Do we have any artists in here, any painters or anything? Okay, Kate, so you may know this. I didn't know this because I'm not. He says, a word on perspective. For this image I chose a very, very wide vanishing point. Rather than feeling immersed in the scene, the viewer is looking at this as if, as if from across the street or from the warmth and safety of his or her passing car. I have a small hope that this Christmas image will come to mind when we see others down and out, people huddling outside of gas stations, reminding us that our Savior's parents, indeed Jesus himself, were at one time similarly troubled. I think that that speaks really well to our lives. So we go remembering God is not out of touch with reality. God understands you, is with you, and is pulling for you. So we can, like that verse in Hebrew says, walk up to him and receive what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. And this is the good news of the gospel. So, look around see where there's hurt see where there's brokenness suffering and ask for wisdom from God to see how we can inject gospel love and truth into that situation so let's let's pray